Well, last week we took a look at both chapters 15 and 16 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this morning we will be looking at chapter 17. And I'm actually going to go through chapter 18 too at the end, you'll see. But um, you can open your Bibles up there, Revelation 17. And uh, before we jump on into chapter 17, I, I do want to just remind us all of a few things here this morning. And that is that the Apostle John, who received this vision from Jesus Christ himself while on the Isle of Patmos, is jumping from scene to scene in this vision. Uh, he keeps describing to us in his writing here what it is that Jesus is allowing him to see. And I think it's important that we keep being reminded of this fact that this is indeed a vision that, that the Apostle John received from Jesus Christ. And I say I think it's important that we keep being reminded of it because you know, it's been so many weeks since chapter one. Not that I assume that you guys don't read it on your own, but I'm just saying as we're studying it here, it's been so many weeks since chapter one. It's good to kind of stay within the context of what's happening to kind of understand and get the full picture. Jesus Christ himself is revealing something here to his apostle John, and it's something that Jesus wanted the church to know. So it's a very important book for you and me today. But again, it's important that we understand that it is a vision because if you've ever had a vision or a dream from which you've received an interpretation, you'll understand, or at least my experience is that, that the vision itself is not as clear as reality itself. And what I mean by that is that as you look around today and you use your five senses, you see things, you hear things, you you touch things and such, you know. But these things are not the same as when you experience a vision or a dream, right? A vision or a dream that comes from God is something that needs interpretation, I have found anyway. Um, a vision or a dream has elements to it that are not always completely reality, but they portray or they represent a reality, okay? So, I'll give you an example. In, in Genesis 41, right, Pharaoh had a dream. And in that dream, he was standing by a river. And all of a sudden, there came out of the river seven cows. And they were good looking and fat, and they had fed in the meadow. Then seven other cows came up after them out of the river, described as being ugly and gaunt or ugly and skinny. You know, and those cows stood next to the other cows on the bank of the river, and the ugly and the skinny cows ate up the seven good-looking and fat cows. Now, this was only one part of Pharaoh's dream, but does that dream represent reality? No, it doesn't. That dream actually needs interpretation. Okay, so Joseph came along in, in Genesis 41 and interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. Okay, um, he told Pharaoh that the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And Joseph continued to interpret the dream and told Pharaoh that there would be seven years of great abundance that would come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after those seven years there would be a famine that would arise, and all the abundance of that 
previous seven years would be forgotten in the land of Egypt and, the, and that the famine would deplete the land. Okay, So that dream of Pharaoh's needed interpretation, but the contents of the dream did not represent exact reality. Fourteen cows really didn't come up out of the river and eat up one, you know, one group eat the other, right? God simply allowed Pharaoh to have this dream, and God simply allowed Joseph to interpret what was to be the reality of the dream, okay? So as I'm bringing that up to say that as we continue to study um, this revelation here, the revelation of Jesus Christ as a group, we must do so understanding the fact that we need to seek God as individuals for what it is that He wants us to know okay? from what we read. Okay? How does it apply to us today? What does it mean to us today? And over the years, there has been many interpretations and many variations of interpretations of the revelation that Jesus revealed to John, his apostle. There have been so many different viewpoints on it. So not everything about this book is what you could call completely clear to us. So we do our best Sunday mornings to interpret it in light of other scriptures or what we know from the scriptures and the character and the nature of God throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we should also do all that we can, though, to seek the Lord, to seek Him, to find out what is His will for our hearts as individuals. As we study any book of the Bible, as you read through any book and study the Bible, what is God's will for your life as an individual? Okay? So, with all that being said, I would like for us to jump back now into chapter 16 of Revelation, and we're going to start reading in verse 17, and then we'll go ahead and read our way on into chapter 17. But Revelation 16, 17 says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since the plague was exceedingly great. Verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Okay, so I'm going to pause there on that verse and I'm going to talk with you a little bit again because we are about to see here in Scripture a little more detail of the city of Babylon. We saw back in 16, in chapter 16, in verse 19, where it said that the great city was remembered before God, great Babylon, excuse me, was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So Babylon is going to be dealt with by God. But what does Babylon represent to you and me today? You see, Babylon indeed was a real city. Let me just go ahead and show you something here. Let's turn back, mark this page, and turn back to the book of Genesis, 
Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 11. Again, we're going to deal in Revelation with this judgment of Babylon. Okay? I just want to go back here into Genesis chapter 11. And show you something here. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had, a, they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Notice all the pride in this, us and we, and make a name for ourselves and all of that, right? But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and, and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. So this was the foundation of a city that started to be built, the city of Babel. Which, you could also, which we also know as Babylon, which went on to be in essence that. And we'll talk about that more as we go on. It was a place where, as you look at it here, it was a place where mankind decided to make a name for themselves. They were going to be great and mighty with a tower in their city that reached high up into the sky. They were determined to be one with each other and to make their way in this world and to make a name for themselves, right? They were going to govern themselves, and the Lord knew that this wouldn't be good for them. So instead of, a, of establishing themselves, you know, God confused them and God scattered them, okay, throughout the face of the earth. So Babylon represents a city where man is going to prove that they could do it all on their own, right? and be one with each other. Babylon is a place where mankind lives out. It represents in the Bible a place where man uh, lives out the lust of their eyes, the lust of their flesh, the pride of life, okay, the, the, you know, to the fullest, right? And if we could compare a city today with that type of thing, like Babylon type thing, we, it would be the city of Las Vegas, right? But this this kind of living never was and never will be God's plan for mankind to establish a name for ourselves, to stand on our own, you know, to, to, to be something great. So as we flip back to Revelation 17, I just want you to keep that in mind as we go through this study. But we begin to see the judgment of Babylon in Revelation, right? That place where man lives apart from God without being governed by God. 
And back in Revelation 17, verse 1 again, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And and we'll see here in a few minutes that the great harlot represents Babylon. Verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You see, the whole world today, even to this very day, is deceived in this way. Deceived by Babylon, if you will. They are deceived into believing they can go it alone. They can do it without God, right? Again, Babylon represents that, a man apart from God. They can live however they want to live without God's involvement in their life. That's what most of the world believes and thinks. They are in that that sense, they're drunk with the wine of her fornication. What is fornication? Of course, we know it's sex, intimacy, if you will, with someone that is not to be your wife or your husband. The only kind of God-ordained intimacy that, that, uh, of a man with his wife or a woman with her husband. That's the God-ordained intimacy, right? A woman that has sex with a man that she is not married to is, in biblical terms, a whore or a harlot. And a man that has sex with a woman that is not his wife is a Whoremonger. Okay, so these are biblical descriptions, right? If you look at the Bible, that's all. That's the only options there are. The other option is you're a virgin. Okay, so the world today is drunk with Babylon's fornicate fornication, the deception that we can go it alone, that we can do it without God, that mankind can somehow be good, can somehow do something good, somehow build something great without God, okay? So verse three continues. So he is carried, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So do you get the picture here? This woman just represents the filthiness of sin. Okay? A life without God, a life full of blasphemy. But look at her. She's arrayed beautifully. She looks good. Purple and scarlet, gold and precious stones and pearls. In that sense, she looks good. But we see that in the lives of mankind today, don't we? Look beautiful, dress to impress, be all you can be, buy, sell, get gain, live long, prosper, live life to the fullest, right? Nice house, nice cars, nice clothing, nice jewelry. But Jesus asked the question, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And verse five continues, and on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So this is who the woman represents in this vision, this harlot that causes the inhabitants of the earth to be made drunk with the wine of her fornication. She is called Mystery Babylon the Great. Why is this way of life a mystery? Because most people fall under the spell of this world and are completely unaware that they are possessed by it. Most people grow up in this life and then going through this world as to thinking they can do it on their own. 
and they can build and they can have and they, they, they make the, their own plans in their lives, right? They do all of this apart from God, right? You see, for example, going back to what we were talking about, having sex outside of marriage and partying and getting drunk, those things are not seen as strange in the world today. Those things are seen as fun and normal activity and acceptable, right? It is the name of Jesus and being born again that is considered strange and foreign in today's world, okay? So you're a freak, you're a Bible thumper, you're a goody-goody if you live in the ways that are right. You live in the ways of righteousness. So most of the world is oblivious to this deception, this mystery Babylon brings upon them. They think it's the norm. They think, well, I'm young, I live this way, I do this at this time, at this age in my life, right? Verse six says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So what does it mean that she is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus? Well, to me, it's very simple and plain to see that this world today devours Christians and it devours Jews, this world system, right? Anyone that lives contrary to the word of God, you know, is eaten up by this world system. Or even if you live within the bounds of the word of God, this world system eats you up. One way or the other, you get eaten up. Okay? Again, we are living in a time where good is called evil and evil is called good. So John is looking at her in this vision and he's, he's amazed at this. He's amazed at what he sees. You know, John lived in a time on the earth when sin wasn't quite as rampant as it is today, right? Even in recent history, there was a time where being pregnant outside of marriage was a shame. Now it, it seems to be something that we just accept. Oh, good for you, and we just move on, right? And John is amazed at how filthy this is how filthy this world has become. And the longer time goes by for you and me, it'll become more and more filthy, I'm sure. And verse seven says, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and 10 horns. So the angel is going to go ahead here and give John an explanation. Verse eight, the beast that you saw was and is not excuse me, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So the beast that the woman rides on simply, simply represents the Antichrist, the beast that we have studied about in weeks past. Back when we studied Revelation chapter 11, we saw in verse 7 where this beast is described as having risen out of the bottomless pit and ultimately his faith his faith will be to go to perdition. But before he goes into perdition, he will do wonderful things that will make people marvel. And verse 8 continues and says, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now what about this thing here where it speaks of the beast as was, is not, and yet is. What does this refer to? Well, personally, I see it as Satan on the earth in the Garden of Eden. He made himself known to mankind in the form of a serpent at 
that time. Since that time, we haven't seen Satan make himself known in bodily form. We see people, of course, under the influence of Satan's demons, but we have not seen Satan himself. So in that sense, Satan was and then is not in earth history, right? The time will come in the future, however, when he will make himself known again in the world. And that is at the end of the age when he knows his time is short, as we've studied in recent weeks. He will again manifest himself in an effort to make war with Jesus, and we will see that soon as well. So people will marvel, though, at the work of the beast, of the Antichrist. And of course, they will be unsaved people that are on the earth during that time. And the angel continues in verse 9, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, as is and is of the seven, seven, and is going to perdition. So the angel seems to be describing a group of seven governments and the seven leaders of those governments. He says that five of those governments have already fallen. One is still in existence, and there is still yet one to come. Now, we know from biblical history, and I'm speaking specifically of biblical history here, that there were five great world empires. There was Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Then the sixth empire was the Roman Empire. The seventh great empire, the seventh great government, if you will, will be that of the Antichrist. And he will be a man, but he will be led by the beast, that man will be. So the beast is the eighth, but he is part of the seven because he possesses the seventh. And he rules during that time. The, the ten horns, verse 12 says, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Now keep in mind here what we saw in verse 10. The beast the Antichrist, this great world leader led by Satan, will only continue a short time. Okay, that government, that reign will only be a short time. He's not going to last very long. But we see here that he will establish in his short time ten kingdoms with kings over these kingdoms that will bow to his power. Who will these kingdoms be? We don't know. We just know that they will be. But verse 14 tells us what they will do. It says, these will make war with the lamb and, with, and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So you can set up all the kingdoms that you want, but you'll still fall short of the power of the king of kings. So they won't defeat him. So they won't win this war. This will be a great war, a great battle. And, and we saw the preparations of this battle in last week's study, didn't we? The battle of Armageddon. Verse 15, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. 
So picture this part of the vision here. The harlot sits on the waters and the waters represent people, multitude, nations, and tongues. So she sits or she rests on, if you will, deceiving all the people of the world. Okay, verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So right in the midst of all this evil, these 10 kings seem to do something good. The deception that leads people into all kinds of sin will be dealt with by these 10 kings that reign under the rule of the Antichrist for this very short time because God allows them to do this to fulfill his purpose. Even though they are not submitted to God himself because it says there that they give their kingdom to the beast. But again, God is allowing this to happen until all of his words are fulfilled. And in verse 18, the angel closes out this explanation by saying, and the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So Babylon, she's Babylon, the great city, the great deception that deceives the whole world even until this very day will one day be judged. That deception where man thinks that they can do it on their own, that they can do it apart from God. And we're going to see here as we go on a little bit more about her or about the judgment of her. But that's what we see in this chapter. Again, the evil kings of this world did something good here in a sense, and God allowed them to do it. They destroyed this great evil depicted as a city here and also depicted as a woman, a harlot. Okay, and I'm going to do something here that I've not done before, and that is rather than to teach completely through a chapter, I'm going to kind of lightly skim over a chapter, and I'm going to have you read along with it through, with me through chapter 18, because I believe that in the light of all of that I've just said and all we've just studied, reading through chapter 18 needs to go on the heels of this because it will make complete sense. And I I want us to read the whole chapter and I'll read it out loud, of course, and you can follow along. But as you do follow along, picture in your mind the ways that this world system deceives people today. Okay, People today trust in money. They trust in riches. They trust in their jobs. They, They trust in their merchandise. Right. Well, as we read all of chapter 18 again, we do so in the light of the fact that that sinful system that deceives all of mankind today is dealt with. The city of Babylon represents a great harlot, right? That deception that makes mankind think again that they can do it alone, right? That they can reach into heaven. They can go as high as they want to go, right? But all of that is going to be done away with that whole system that man trusts in, that, that Babylon, okay? And God knew from the beginning this wasn't good. This wasn't good in Genesis chapter 11 that mankind would go in this direction. So 
Keep that in mind again as we read chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel, verse 1 of chapter 18, coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So do you see how that represents this world system? And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. I will make a quick comment here. Who are God's people that are on the earth during this great tribulation? It is the Jewish people, his chosen people. He is calling them to get out of this world system and not be a part of it, to come back to just focusing on him as their Lord. For her, verse five, for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember in chapter 11, they tried to build a tower that reached in to heaven. By trying to do things our own way, the only thing that reaches up into heaven is our sin. When we try and do it apart from God and do it in our own way. And this whole world system again will be judged. Verse six, render, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. You know, that's the lie of this world system even today. You can be on top. You can, you can achieve happiness, right? If you just seek after the things of this world, that's what makes you happy. Money, cars, a great house, a house at the beach, all of this stuff, right? And that's what this, that's what this Babylon represented, this great harlot, this system that deceived everybody. I sit as queen, she says. And I'm no widow and I will not see sorrow. So money, clothes, nice house, cars, retirement, nice egg, nest egg, right? On and on it goes. These are the things that God doesn't want our hearts set on. Verse eight, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Standing at a distance for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Wow. So buy, sell, and get gain. Those days are all gone. It's no longer a material world. At this point. It's, it's being judged. 
The whole materialism is being judged. Verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. It, it encompasses everything right there. Everything that people seek after in this world is, is in that list. It's made up of something like that, right? The fruit that your soul has longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. So think about that. Have you ever heard the saying, it's all going to burn? Well, they're watching Babylon burn. They're watching that, that great city, that great deception burn, right? We can't trust in anything but our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we put our complete, complete trust in. Nothing else in this world is worth it. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. But boy, did it look good. Boy, did it look good to all the world for so many years, for all the centuries, wealth and buying and selling and get gain and merchandising looks so good. But in one hour, it's gone. So people today that put their trust in things are putting their trust in something that just vanishes away. Verse 17 continues, every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So again, John's receiving a vision and he gets a picture and the angel's saying, This is what it's going to be like for Babylon. A great millstone in the sea, nothing anymore. It's gone. Okay. The sound of, verse 22, the sound of harpists, musicians, flute, Flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. So you see, it will no longer be about the entertainment, right? The movies, the songs, the, the, the things that people find so much solace in today, right? Furniture made by craftsmen, trinkets made and sold today in the world of merchandise will be no more. That whole system will be done away with at this time. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, 
For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So all the greed, all the lust, all the envy of this world will one day be judged. And that's what Babylon and this great harlot represents. Okay, they kill the people of God. Those that stand for truth and righteousness are not welcome in this world's system. Sadly, though, there's a portion of Christianity today that has gotten into the business of buying and selling and storing up treasures here on the earth. In many cases, churches have become about merchandising today, about all the musicians and the flutes and the harps and all of these things, right? It's about the entertainment many, you know, that they have fallen victim to. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, must understand the Word of God, and we must understand that we're not to be of this world. And we must understand that it's all going to burn, that it really is going to all come to an end. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, again, we thank you for a time where we can just gather corporately in your word. Thank you that we each have Bibles, Lord, that we each have your word in our homes and in our own hands, Lord, that we can study it for ourselves, Lord, and, and we indeed should, Lord. We should seek you for what you would reveal to us personally as individuals in your word, Lord. But thank you for a time, Lord, where we can just come and corporately gather and, and share about these things. and Just pray, Lord, your will be done. I pray your truth be known in our hearts and in our minds. And we just thank you again for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.